Amen. Praise God. Glad you're here this morning. I'm going to ask you this morning uh, to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 20. I have a little bit of a prelude prior to getting into the actual word, but um, it's good that you have your Bible open as that is going to be our text for today. Over the last few weeks, we have been looking um, a deeper look at the Christian doctrine of redemption. Redemption, which is a critical doctrine here. And, and we've looked at it in the Scripture, and we've seen redemption number one as far as it relates to the forgiveness of sins that is found in Jesus Christ, right? Ephesians 1.7 is a good proof text for that, right? In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Last week we looked at uh, redemption in the ransom, the buyback exchange portion of redemption. And this is the buyback, the idea of repurchasing or winning back something that was previously forfeited or lost. And it is in that buyback that Christ took upon himself our sins and we, those of us that are believers in Jesus Christ, get Christ's righteousness charged to our account. And we define, we took a look at redemption, and we define redemption then as to be forgiven, to be cleansed, to be made holy, justified, free, adopted, and the last one, reconciled to God. Reconciled to God. And so in my final message on this series of redemption, we're going to look at being reconciled to God. What does that mean and what does that imply? And the reconciliation found in the redemption of Jesus Christ, and it's this glorious truth that allows fallen, sin-burning sinners to be fully reconciled to a holy God through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Let me just share something. One of the reasons we go to great lengths, any church, any preacher who is worth his salt should always go through great lengths to be able to explain the Scripture in its truth and in its authenticity. It is where we grow as believers as we deep dive the Scripture. Because why? The Scripture is the word of life. And to be a Christian is to know God, and to know God is to know His Word, and to know His truth. This is why we go through things. It's not just, this isn't an education class. This isn't uh, um, like you'd have in college, you know, somebody's going to get up there and lecture is going to pump your head with facts. The intent of preaching, the purpose of preaching is to unleash the word of God and it is to unleash the gospel because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So we unleash it. Now when you merge that with what I said earlier in the prayer, when we come, we come with an expectation. I don't know what your expectation is this morning. I don't know if your expectation is, okay, at what point will Mark shut up and this service be over? Or if your expectation is, I've come to meet God. What does God have to say to me? What does God have to say to the church? 
The reason I chose the topic of redemption is because it is one of the most glorious truths in Scripture that, a, that I could be redeemed, that you could be redeemed, that you could be adopted into the family of God, that you could be reconciled to a holy and righteous God. That should never bore you. That should thrill your heart at the full and free redemption that is found only in Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to look at our text and we're going to see three glorious truths of this reconciliation found in the redemption of Jesus Christ. The first one is God has given believers the ministry of reconciliation. That's the first one. Let me say that again. God has given believers the ministry of reconciliation. The second one. God has given believers the word of reconciliation. Again, God has given believers the word of reconciliation. And number three, God has made believers ambassadors of the message of reconciliation. We become ambassadors. A glorious truth. And today our text, like I said, we will find ourselves in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Glorious, by the way, glorious chapter. It is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that I probably quote the verse I quote the most which is 2 Corinthians 5.21, is He made Him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The second verse I probably quote the most, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. All of the old things have passed away, and behold, everything has become new. The 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is glorious in terms of this whole issue of redemption and reconciliation. Now, before we jump into the text, I want to give you a little bit of background because I always tell you that context is what? Oh, man, that was disappointing. What is context? What do I always say? Context is king. Context is king. I thought you knew that already. So you can write that down. Context, biblical context, is king. Okay? And that gives us the ability to do a proper interpretation of Scripture. So let's look at a little bit, real quick, of a little bit of background to Corinth. 2 Corinthians was written to Paul to the church at Corinth, which was a church that was going through significant upheaval. Significant. There was disunity. There were divisions in the church. There was immorality in the church. There were the practicing of false gifts and false manifestations. The book of 1 Corinthians is written to the church at Corinth as a rebuke. In other words, I'm rebuking you for some of the things that you were doing, but here's the correction that Paul gives them. In 1 Corinthians, Paul writes them a letter correcting their practices, 
calling them to repentance. Get it right. Turn it around. Now, to understand that, you need to understand the city of Corinth. Okay, the city of Corinth, which is located today in modern Greece, was a wicked, wicked city. In the city of Corinth, they worship a lot of pagan gods. Egyptian, Greek, and Roman. So they had temples everywhere. Pagan temples of every, uh, everywhere. In Corinth was the temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. Okay? And in that time, there were devout, uh, devout cult-like followings of Aphrodite to the point that there were those who devoted their lives to the worship of Aphrodite. They were called temple prostitutes. And every evening, these temple prostitutes would descend upon the city and as a form of worship would engage in random sex with men, women, everything. It was anything goes because they wanted to worship their goddess, Aphrodite. Now, imagine such paganism. Imagine such immorality in a pretty condensed place, which was also, by the way, a crossroads for, uh, for trade routes in Asia. So you would have a lot of ships come in. And when the ships come in, the sailors would disembark. And when the sailors would disembark, I guarantee you they were headed for the temple prostitutes. So this was an amazingly pagan, wicked, wicked city. Imagine they didn't have just one god. They were worshiping anything. Egyptian, Roman, Greek. It really didn't matter. But here's the glory of this. The gospel penetrated in that environment. And a church was there. And a church was planted. And a church was moving along. And I'll tell you what, I personally take encouragement for this because I say there's hope for America. There's hope for Canada. There's hope for the Western world. The gospel still is the power of God unto salvation. And we have to unleash the gospel. We have to preach the gospel. And even though 99.9% of the world will reject and mock and do everything else, the the power is not in us. Listen, in Romans 1.16 where Paul says that, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. I want you to notice something in that verse. Paul doesn't say that the gospel contains the power of God. He said the gospel is the very power of God unto salvation. That means if we want to hear people say we got to unleash the gospel. That means if we want to see people saved, we must tell them that they're sinners. That we must tell them that they're lost. That we must tell them that they're an offense to a holy God. 
we must unleash the truth that there is salvation in no other, for there's no other name given unto heaven among men but whereby we must be saved. We must call them to repentance, to turn from their sins, and trust the finished work of Christ on the cross, and that only for their salvation, to put their faith in him, that they're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. You know all those messages today are very offensive. First thing they say, why is your God the best God? How do you know Christianity does this? How do you know? It does not matter. We are called to unleash the gospel. And the gospel we must unleash. We must call men and women to repentance and faith in Christ. We must call men and women to turn from their sin. That is the hope for a darkened society. And the more we temper that, the more we try to camouflage the rough edges of the gospel, the more and more the gospel does not become an offense to people, then we are going to see stagnation and we are going to see apostasy flourish. And we're seeing that today. There's no mistake about that today. Now in 2 Corinthians, before he writes 2 Corinthians, Paul had received a letter. He had received another letter that is lost to history. In that first letter, it was kind of like a harsh rebuke of Paul. And Paul was saddened by it. And then he received another letter which was, we've repented, we're moving in the right direction. And 2 Corinthians is written to say, my heart rejoices at the fact that you repented, but there still remained divisions in the church. Now, one of the other biggest issues that Paul writes to defend himself is, a, is, a, is regarding his apostleship. There were those that were in the church still remaining that were saying, how can you be an apostle? You didn't walk with Jesus. You didn't do this, right? It's a good question for another subject on another day. But um, anyway, if we look at the text, if we look at 2 Corinthians, the best way to outline 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is verses 1 through 9. Paul speaks of the assurance of a resurrection in Verses 10 through 13, Paul speaks regarding the judgment seat of Christ, specifically that we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And then in verses 14 to 21, Paul speaks specifically of the love of Christ, the redemption that is found in Christ, and the reconciliation to God through Christ. So it's within this context Paul illustrates for us the redemptive work of Jesus Christ in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. If you take a look at that real quick, he says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And so we see here clearly that Paul paints the uh, picture that there is forgiveness of sin in the one who died for all. And that Christ rose on the behalf of others. 
In verse 17, a verse that I'm sure is pretty famous to all of you, the Apostle Paul makes this statement. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And I love that. This is exchanging the sinful nature for the new nature in Christ, right? We talked about redemption being an exchange, buying back that which was previously forfeited. Here you see it, right? The old things, I love that term in the Greek, the old things, it means I pass by, I pass away, I pass out of sight, I render void. Are you not glad that Christ's sacrifice has rendered void all of your past sins? Does that not get your juices flowing? Does that not make you excited? I think a lot of times when the Lord through the Holy Spirit reminds us perhaps of some of the sins of our youth or some of our previous sins when we were in Christ is to pull us back to that point where we see the marvelous grace of Jesus Christ and we celebrate and go, hallelujah, how could you save a wretch like me? I love it here in 17 because there's an exchange made. Our sin for Christ's righteousness. I said last week when we preached on the, uh, on the pearl of great price and the buried treasure, I said, you know, redemption is we give an ounce of trash for tons of diamonds that we get in Christ. And it doesn't get better than that. It is absolutely stupendous. It is mind-altering what God does for those He loves. Now in verses 18 and 20, we see that not only our sins are forgiven, not only have believers been redeemed, but here's the glorious truth. Believers are reconciled to God. Take a look at verse 18. Now all these things, now you've got to ask yourself when you see this, right? And you see this statement in verse 18. 18. Now, all these things, the first question that should come into your mind is, what things? What things is Paul talking about? Well, it's all the elements that he was talking about up, up and including verse 17. That if any person's in Christ, he's a new creation. All the old things have passed away. So he says, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I want to look there specifically at the the ministry of reconciliation. I had said that the the three truths we see here is that number one, God has given believers the ministry of reconciliation. And notice at the very beginning, all these things are from who? Who are they from? They're from God. God is the initiator. God is the fulfiller. All these things are from God as God is the author of such a great salvation. As God is the author of such a great redemption. God is also the author of this work and brought about by the obedience of Christ. That our reconciliation is not of ourselves. Just like our redemption 
is not of ourselves. How many times you share the gospel with an unbeliever and the unbeliever says, well, I got to get myself right. I got to make myself right before I, I do anything. Right? Or your unbeliever will say, boy, if I ever walk into a church, the ceiling's going to collapse on me. I don't want to do that. But it's just the opposite. There's nothing you can do to make yourself right. You can't clean yourself up. You can't do any of it. God is the author. God is the fulfiller. And it has been completed through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. That word uh, reconciliation, what it literally means is properly, decisively, as when two parties uh, reconcile, when they come together, when they agree with one another. Just think if you have been saved in Christ, you've been reconciled to God. You agree with Him. He agrees with you. And it has come down to an exact point. It's been precise. And that precision is when you have been born again in Christ. When the imputed righteousness of Christ is charged to your account, you are in agreement with God. How can that be when we spent most of our lives fighting against God, striving against God, shaking our fist against God? What does the scripture have to say about this reconciliation? Turn over in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 10. I think this sums it up very well. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Go a little bit slower there. While we were what? Friends? No, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. That implies that there's nothing, nothing we could have done. We were enemies. And now that we're reconciled, now that we're reconciled through Jesus Christ, we're saved through His life, through the resurrection. We're saved. And we exalt in God through our Lord. You know what the church really needs to do, honestly? The church needs to exalt in God. I have a, I just have this thing where I think so many Christians are bored. Bored with the things of God. Bored with the Scripture. Bored with worship. And so we need, we need little things to pump us up and infuse us up. And usually those little things are how the world manages stuff. So if we just jazz up the music a little bit, if we just have more emotion, if we just, and we're bored with the things of God. I remember when I was a young man, and for most of this time I wasn't even saved. You get together with a bunch of other, other Christians, you know, you didn't talk about the game or you didn't talk about what you saw on TV. You got together and you discussed the Word of God. 
we would talk about deep things, even things we, we didn't fully understand, but we would come together. and we, you, don't, you don't see that too much anymore. Many people are bored. Preaching bores them. You know, Bible study bores them. So they're always looking for the next thrill. Oh, that if the church would discover the glorious redemption and the truth and the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ, then we would be that people that would exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because we've received reconciliation. We have been reconciled to God. It does not get better than that. Colossians 1, 21, 22, Paul tells the church at Colossae, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds, it's not a great picture here. Look at what he's saying. You were alienated. You were hostile in the mind. That means you're hostile in the mind toward God. You didn't want to be bothered with the holy things. You didn't want to be. And he says, and you were engaged in evil deeds. Yet now has he reconciled you in his fleshly body through his death in order to present you before him holy, listen to these words, to present you holy, that means set apart to God, no defilement, blameless, no transgressions that could be charged against you and beyond reproach. This is salvation. Now in the human court, if I stood up in a human court today, let me tell you, I would not be considered holy. I would not be blameless because even in a court structure today there are things that I did perhaps years ago that I regret and I certainly would not be beyond reproach but before a holy and living God I could stand before him holy blameless without reproach this is indeed salvation this is indeed redemption that which was worthless now has worth intrinsic worth through the blood of Jesus Christ who gave himself for us. You know this verse, Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And I say this all the time, and for those of you who went through Romans with me on Tuesday night, you know this. It's not peace of mind it's not you're never going to have another worry everything's going to go la-di-da that peace refers to the enmity against god has ceased well what is enmity it is striving against the law and the nature of god And look what Paul says at the beginning of Romans chapter 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. I'm not striving anymore. I'm not shaking my fist and saying, Lord, I will not submit. As Christ died for the sins of others, believers die 
to themselves. My life is no longer my own, the Apostle Paul told the church at Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been buried with Christ, he says in Romans chapter 6. I have been buried with him in baptism. I have been raised in newness of life as Christ has risen from the dead, he says. That's my example. Which one are you? Have you been raised in newness of life? Have you died to yourself, to your desires, to all the things that, that your wants and say, Lord, whatever you want for my life, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to lay aside. You know, Jesus made a statement one time. He said, no one has given up father, mother, sister, brother, farms, money, jobs, whatever, that shall not receive a hundred times more in this life Emphasis here, right? This life and in the life to come. We don't have to wait for the rewards. God gives us the rewards here. So all believers who are in Jesus Christ are reconciled. Listen to this. All the believers who are in Jesus Christ are reconciled to God, sins forgiven, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, born again, access to the throne room of God. Believers have peace with God, no longer at enmity with God, not striving against God. Believers have eternal life, can worship God in spirit and truth, names written down in the Lamb's book of life, and will spend an eternity with Christ, with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. You tell me what tops that. There's nothing. Why does it not move so many? We are able to clearly see that the benefits of the work of reconciliation that was provided through Jesus Christ, and now we see that God has given believers, here's the best part, not only have we been reconciled, but now God has given believers the ministry of reconciliation. So what is the ministry of reconciliation? Well, let me tell you. It is all the labor, all the work for the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all the stuff that goes unseen. It's the dedication of one's service to Christ. It is the commitment and the resolve to say that I live for Christ now, so I'm going to labor for Christ. And whatever labors we do for Christ, hey, it may not be seen in this world, but it will indeed be seen in the world to come. Many of you come to church every Sunday. When you come to church every Sunday, chairs are set up, the pulpit's set up, the Lord's table is set up, tracks are out, water's here. Even nice little cute things like little mints in the back. And I know you appreciate it, but you know what? That takes work. We have two people in our church that said, yes, I will do this for you. I will do this for you. And so they take it upon themselves and say, I will sacrifice my Sunday mornings. I will sacrifice my Saturday. I will sacrifice my Sunday afternoons. I'll bring the stuff back to the shed. I'll do all these other different things. And in this world, their work goes unseen. 
but not in the eyes of God. That is the labor to propagate the gospel. They are much propagators of the gospel. And I'm speaking of Janet and Ricky. They are as much propagators of the gospel as I who stand up here and preach the word of God to you. And there are others. You get your financial statements. The banking is being done. The, the, all the administrative work, sermons are being posted on the radio. Sermons are being posted on sermon audio. When I come short, I need somebody to fill in. I go to this individual and I go to my brother Todd and my brother Todd who has a family and has a job and has everything else said, I'll do it and I'll go up there. And my brother Todd fills in a gap that most of you don't see. But it equally is part of the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because of what he does, our messages go out on the air and our messages go through the world in sermon audio. That labor is a propagation of the work of God. What is this ministry of reconciliation? This ministry of reconciliation is that labor, that service, that propagation. You know that word ministry? It's an interesting word. It's from the root word diakonos. Last week we, we welcomed in two deacons. And I gave you that that word diakonos means a waiter of tables. So how do we know? We could take a look at the ministry. It is waiting on tables. It is the service in the church. I was talking to Janet and Ricky this morning. I said, you know, one thing I've learned about ministry through the last few years, 99.9% of it goes unseen. And most of the time, there's not a pat on the back, but rather a kick in the backside. And a lot of times you feel unappreciated, even in your own church, or you feel unappreciated in your own community. But God sees and therefore, God has entrusted every believer with this ministry. Listen, he has entrusted you. If you call yourself a believer in Christ with this ministry. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.11, he said, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech. Thank God for that, by the way, because I'm such a bumbling, stumbling idiot. I thank God for that, that he could take a bozo like me and, you know, use it for the gospel. But he says, he didn't, he didn't call me not in cleverness of speech. And Paul was an educated man, extremely educated, spoke multiple languages, was trained in the highest theological schools of the day. But he said, he didn't call me to preach in cleverness of speech, but that the cross of Christ should not be made void. You know what's the easiest way to make the cross of Christ void? Be silent. Let no one know what Christ has done in your life. So we see that God has committed to us believers the awesome task of advancing the ministry of reconciliation. Now Paul goes on verse 19 he says this, N namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not count, uh, counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us now the word of reconciliation. So we have the ministry of reconciliation, and he says he's committed to us, believers, the word of reconciliation. 
And Paul makes it abundantly clear that the word of reconciliation is proclaiming the work of Christ and how God is at work reconciling sinners to himself. The ministry of reconciliation involves service and work. The word of of reconciliation is the proclamation of the gospel. The proclamation of the gospel. That sinful people can find redemption and salvation in a holy, righteous God through the finished work of Christ. Turn with me over to Psalm 32. I want you to see something here. Psalm 32. You're still with me, right? You still have expectation, right? God's going to speak, right? Lord's going to move, right? Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. That word impute means to charge to one's account. That's what that word means, impute. How does God reconcile the world uh, to him through Christ? Because the righteousness of Christ, Christ was the sinless, spotless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All who come to him in repentance and faith, trusting in the work of Christ as the only means of salvation, then the Lord does not charge their sins against the, uh, against the individual. Why? Why? Because it was charged to Christ. He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. That means he made him who knew no sin to become the penalty of sin on our behalf. That we might, now this, this is the part that blows my mind all the time that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We might become the righteous. Paul quotes this in Romans 4, 4, 5. He quotes this exact verse. He says, Blesses the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Listen, I want to be crystal clear with this. This is really critical. This is absolutely critical. This is not a decisional act. This is not merely acceptance of certain facts about Christ. Rather, this is an act of God that involves the full soul, the will, the consciousness of the individual being called to come to Christ in full and total and complete surrender. Total surrender. We saw that in the parable of the buried treasure, did we not? He stumbled upon it. He went, sold everything he had, and purchased that field. And we saw that in the pearl of great price. The merchant who was looking, he was looking for it. When he found that pearl of great value, great price, he sold everything he had to get it. Christ's righteousness 
is charged to the account of the individual and my sins were charged to Christ's account. Paul says in Romans 3.26, for a demonstration I say of his righteousness at the present time, that God might be both the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. And thereby, he reconciles the believer to God. So the word of reconciliation is indeed the very proclamation of the gospel. Now verse 20. and says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now you know in Scripture every time you see therefore, right? It means what I have previously mentioned to you. I know some people sometimes say, you see, therefore, find out what it is there for. But it really means in retrospect, in light of what I've just shared with you. Well, what did he just share? He just shared with us verses 18 and 19 about the reconciliation. And he says, therefore, in light of that, that we have been reconciled to God, in light of that very thing, We are ambassadors for Christ. Now notice, we know what an ambassador does, right? It's an emissary to a foreign nation who represents the interest of a sending nation, right? So if, if I was the ambassador to Spain, I would go to Spain, but I would represent the interest of the United States, right? Paul says, because you have been reconciled with Christ, the old things have passed away, everything has become new, now you have been reconciled with Christ, guess what? You are an ambassador for Christ. Now an ambassador has a message, right? I said if I were the ambassador to Spain, my message would be that of the government. But because we are ambassadors of Christ, We are entrusted with what? We are entrusted with the word of reconciliation. We are entrusted. Listen, we, and I want you to note my words very carefully. We are entrusted. We're not mandated. We're not ordered. It's not if you don't do this, I'm going to throw, you know, you're going to get hit. God has entrusted us with that pearl of great price. God has entrusted every believer with the hidden treasure. And he says, here, I'm putting it in your care. Now, go tell the world of this treasure. Go tell the world of this amazing worth that is found in Christ Jesus. The Word is the message of reconciliation. And the message is that we could be made right and restored in fellowship in God. Listen, the Apostle Paul put it this way. If you don't have this underlined in your Bible, please do so. 1 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Turn with me there. 
1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Notice how the Apostle Paul puts it. He says it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. And yet for this reason, I found mercy in order that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ may demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. And I echo Paul, amen, amen, and amen. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners as the apostle puts it, of which I am foremost. This is the message of reconciliation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. As Jesus said, He didn't come to call the righteous. He come to call the sick. And He did so, as Ephesians 2.7 says, in order that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And here's something to bear note of. This message was not entrusted to angels. This message was not entrusted exclusively to prophets. This message was not entrusted exclusively to apostles. This message was not entrusted to a special created being. This message is not written across the sky so that every time we go out, we see the gospel. God's good favor, providence, and sovereignty entrusted this message to believers. To believers. God's most precious gift by the way, which is not free will, so don't ever say that. God's most glorious gift is the gift of new life in Christ and the message of that new life. And he entrusted it to other believers. How in the world can this be? You know, every believer is a citizen of the kingdom of God. Every single believer is a citizen in the kingdom of God. And central to being a believer is doing the proclaiming work and the ministry of reconciliation and the proclamation of the gospel. <clears throat> so as we've seen in today's text, God has given all believers the ministry of reconciliation, the word of reconciliation, and all believers are ambassadors for Christ, therefore ambassadors of reconciliation. So the question really becomes, so what? Big deal. Would you ramble about for the last 40 minutes? What does this have to do with me? Right? Isn't that the silver bullet question everybody wants answered? You know, the Lord Jesus made this statement in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father 
in heaven. We should take that charge very soberly. Very soberly. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we've all been given great responsibility regarding the advancement of the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, it goes beyond given great responsibility. It goes from a benevolent father entrusting us with his pearl of great price, with his greatest thing, the gospel message. It does not become a burden, but rather a privilege to be a follower of Christ. We are heralders of the gospel, laborers of the gospel, representatives of the gospel. All these things should be evident in our daily lives. And here's the challenge that I have for all of us. All of us. How can we live that out to the fullest and be men and women whom God has called us to be? Here's a simple challenge. I'm going to extend to all of us regarding that direction. I'm asking that every believer in this church pray daily. Lord, let me this day share the gospel with one person. One person. That's it. Lord, when you wake up in the morning, Lord... Give me the grace that I may share the gospel today with one person. One person. Now, I know that sends willies up and down some people's spine. Oh my goodness, what am I going to say? Blah, 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 blah. But it's very easy. It's very easy. This could be as simple as handing a tract to someone. Or giving one of our gospels of John to someone. You don't have to engage in a deep, drawn-out theological conversation. You go out to breakfast, you get the check, put a little track in there. How to be free from the fear of dying. You have a conversation around the things of God with someone, give them a track like this. How can I be saved that takes you step-by-step through the process of salvation? Hey, somebody came over to your house to repair the sink. When the person's on the way, I'll say, hey, can I give you this, man? This is free of charge. It's just the Gospel of John. That's it. Let the track do the speaking. But you be the vehicle, right? And let's begin with baby steps. Earnestly desire. Say, Lord, I, I just desire. You're checking out in the supermarket. Hey, sweetheart, I just want to give you this. Would you take it? Let me tell you something. Flash, flash. Here comes the news flash. You ready? People are going to go, no, I don't want it. Oh, boy. I'm so hurt. I can't function. I'm never going to do it again. Why do we think that? Why do we think that? I gave it to somebody. They, they threw it back in my face. Okay, cool. Pick it back up. Give it to somebody else who's going to take it. But listen. Have the heart to say, Lord, how can I advance the kingdom of God? We never know that when you give this to a person, maybe they had some past experience. Maybe they knew of John 3.3. So they look at it and they read John 3.3 and they read 3.4.5.6. And the Spirit of God pricks their hearts unto repentance. How do you know that when you don't give a little track like this, you leave it in the check at a restaurant, that you may be sending some, something to somebody who immediately at that moment 
And they go home are going to go, man, I've been thinking about this. And are going to be led to the kingdom of God. You don't have to know whether they be saved. God doesn't say, hey, put notches in your belt for every person you save. One of the funny things about the, the radio broadcast and sermon audio is I always joke. I say, I'm hoping one day that somebody in the streets of heaven is going to walk up to me and say, hey, man, were you that pastor in Orlando with that Brooklyn accent that used to preach on the radio? Man, I heard your message and, and God saved me. Sometimes when I look at sermon audio, there's people in Cam Cambodia. How in the world Cambodia? I don't know a soul in Cambodia. But there are people in Cambodia who listen to the message. Maybe God pricked the heart of somebody in Cambodia. I'll never know on this earth. And I've said this to you before. We'll never know the full impact of this church had on the kingdom of God. I'm asking you today, to make a conscious decision to say, yes, I am an ambassador for Christ. So let me take some of these tools. I'm asking you, look, take six of them. I'm giving you Sundays off. Take six. Take one track and take six and say, Monday through Saturday, at every opportunity, Lord, I'm going to pray you're going to give me one opportunity, one opportunity. And pass it out. God has entrusted to believers the ministry of reconciliation. You know, I, I'll close with this. I, I had a great relationship with my father. My father was my best friend. He was my confidant. I could almost tell my father anything. Not everything, but I could almost tell my father everything. But my father entrusted to me, and I'm using this word deliberately because it's exactly what it is. He entrusted to me the very things he couldn't tell other people. As a pastor of a church, some of the heartaches, some of the challenges, he entrusted to me. That entrusting, that was a work of endearment. He was like, you're my son. I could trust it. On his deathbed, he said, promise me, regarding my mother, promise me that you will not put her in a home. Promise me that you won't do this. Promise me you won't do the other thing. And I said, Dad, I give you my word that we won't. And by the grace of God and the mercy of God, to the day she died, my mother never was in a home. Why? He entrusted me as his son. Let me share something with you, and we'll close with this. That's the same way God entrusts us with the ministry of reconciliation and with the word of reconciliation and as ambassadors for the kingdom of God. It's not put upon us. It's lovingly presented to us so what a great god we serve amen will you bow with me in a word of prayer father as i come to you lord as we close this subject on reconciliation dear god 
Lord, I pray that the service doesn't end today when we say amen, but that the Holy Spirit would be at work in us, causing us to contemplate and dwell upon the very things that we have heard over the past three or four weeks. And that, Father, we would get that glimpse of a loving Father who has entrusted us with His greatest, greatest gift. The ministry and the word of reconciliation. And, Father, may we be found to be faithful ambassadors for Christ. We ask you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.